Pentecost. It was last Sunday that it was actually um, celebrating the church, but it was actually Monday uh, for the church calendar, if you check into that. And uh, I said I was a little disturbed that, you know, we always celebrate on uh, Pentecost the the falling of the fire of God. And last week it was the falling of the deluge. So uh, that was a little disconcerting. I got a couple of unkind texts from a couple of my theological friends that thought that was funny. And uh, I didn't. But uh, anyway, so we want to celebrate that today and uh, begin that. And I start to start with this idea that the goal of God's activity, the goal of God's activity. Now, Pentecost is uh, one of those days on the church calendar that depending on what tradition you're from or how you're participating in the life of the church, whether or not there's anything said about it or anything, if you will, mentioned about it. And I think about the goal of God's activity. I've said to you before that if you track this through the New Testament or even we're going to look in the Old Testament, track it in the Old Testament, you know, after Jesus comes here in the incarnation and he lives and has his ministry on the earth and he goes through his suffering and he dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, he doesn't then say to these guys, now go sick them. He literally, and John says, now wait until you receive the promise of the Father, which suggests that there's more to happen yet, which suggests that the work of Jesus and the plan he has is not yet complete. And so as we look at that, we think about, well, 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 the goal of God's activity. Now, I've got a couple of slides here when I think about it. I think about, you'll hear athletes sometimes talk about uh, when they're playing a sport, uh, that the goal, they'll say, you know, the goal really we have here uh, in uh, athletics is just for love of the game. And they'll go on about, you know, this is why they play and this is why they participate in this particular sport or whatever it is. But I've noticed it's usually right after they lost. <laughs> you notice that? <clears throat> yeah. The love that, no, really, really now, when we talk about athletics like that, we talk about a goal. Now, this is a soccer goal. And I want to show you here a couple pictures. Uh, one of the things that are uh, consistent with all of these pictures, this is Wembley Field on the left. This is probably a cow pasture on the top right out in Oklahoma somewhere. <clears throat> this is some, looks like some Southeast Asian kids playing soccer. One of the things that all of these pictures have in soccer is a goal. And notice here in Wembley, it's on each of those ends there, a goal. There is some reason that they're playing. <clears throat> they're not just kicking the ball around. They have a goal that they're interested or attempting to get the ball in. Basketball has a goal, football has a goal, baseball has a goal to get back around. And I think that, that sometimes if we're not thinking or not reflecting on this, we have to consider, you know, what is the goal? What is God really up to in his work on the earth? What is God really up to in his plan of all redemption? Now, if you look at this other slide here, you'll notice this is uh, the church calendar. Uh, that is typically uh, looked at or used. And you'll notice there is uh, what we would call, uh, we'll start here on the left. I have a pointer here, I think. Woo, look here, high technology. You'll notice here, this is called ordinary time, which we're about to get into, ordinary time of the year. But this is uh, anticipation of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, <laughs> Lent, Easter, and look there, Pentecost. Pentecost is seen in terms of the church calendar. It's in red, it reflects the, the coming of the Spirit, but really sort of fleshes out this idea that Pentecost is really the goal of God's activity, that this is what all of this is working toward. Now, 
what you have here, again, as you look at this ordinary time, understand the story of the people of God. When I was a pastor uh, years ago, I used this as my preaching program. I didn't tell anybody that, you know, because I did, you know, one of them uh, t- didn't want them to think I was being directed all the time. But uh, when, I, when we would get past Pentecost, uh, I would preach and teach through Acts, and then I would preach and teach through the epistles. Remember those? The epistles are, you know, wives of the apostles. Yeah, you'll get that. I'd go through the epistles because that's what's happening in the people of God and go through uh, those passages and then come right back here to Advent and start working in the Old Testament and just kind of work that cycle. Didn't do the same sermons every year. Uh, I always wanted to be a Methodist when John Wesley was alive because he had 52 standard sermons. 52, I thought, I would just stand up one day and say, number 17, <laughs> we're going home. <laughs> That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You know, oh, how many of y'all love number 17? Oh, I love 17. And then go home. A lot less work. Uh, but, but this, I would use that plan to say, I want to help people get the full understanding, if you will, of, of God's work. And I think this calendar and others, and if you study the New Testament, that suggests that God has a goal. And that goal is for the life of the Holy Spirit to be a part of our life. So I want to look at that under several uh, concepts here. First of all, we're going to talk about the day. The day. Pentecost is uh, Shavuot in in the Hebrew uh, religion. It's uh, 50 days after Passover. 50 days after Passover, uh, uh, counting that way. And it is uh, uh, basically seven weeks or 49 days uh, from the festival of, of, uh, of Passover. And it's celebrated... Uh, the in, in gathering of the harvest, uh, always bringing in the harvest. It's taken, if you'll look some more of this, it's taken from Leviticus 23, Numbers 28. And this day was to celebrate the in gathering, the, the harvest, if you will, of, uh, of, of the goodness of God in terms of crops. And there were always the offering of the first fruits. People would come to Jerusalem and they would offer the first fruits of their harvest. I don't, you know, they pull out a, 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 a bushel of wheat or, or corn or whatever they, they've harvested. And it commemorates this bringing in or this harvesting. Now, many New Testament scholars will say that what you recognize then in the book of Acts is there is an ingathering now not of, of a product or, or of harvest, but of people. And it celebrates this kind of idea of the ingathering. Go back and read Acts 2 where it says there were people from all over the world, Parinthians and Egyptians and Moabites and, and uh, 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 Pezzarites and Mosquitoites and all kinds of... That's an old one, I know, but still good. But from people from all these different nations and all that, this, this ingathering. There's another thing that this day commemorates, which I always found really fascinating. A Passover, uh, 50 days later of, the, uh, of, of Pentecost, the rabbis taught that this was after 50 days, if you track you know, the Exodus and you're going along, that in that 50th day era was when Moses went on the mountain and received the law. This is what's taught in rabbinical theology or Jewish theology. That this day not only is the ingathering, if you will, of the harvest, which we see, again, typified in the ingathering of all these nations and people. But it also commemorates, if you will, the giving of the law, the Torah, that uh, it, 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 Shavuot or 
or Pentecost, we call it uh, Pentecost, uh, celebrates this giving of the law, and it is the giving of the law and Jew, uh, the, the people receiving it that constitutes them to be a nation. Think about that for a second. That, that when they receive the law from God on Mount Sinai through Moses, that this is what constitutes or makes them to be a nation. And I think there's some, some foreshadowing here of going on that it is, many would suggest, that it is the giving of the Spirit that constitutes now or puts together or creates the people of God. If you talk to Jewish people, their understanding of their being constituted as the people of God has to do with the receiving of the law. We, as followers of Jesus and Christians, what do we believe that constitutes or brings us and makes us the people of God? The Spirit. Let me give you a couple of passages. In John 3, Jesus said, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of the water and the Spirit. In, in Romans 8, in Romans 8, he says, if we do not have the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ, we're not His. And in Romans 8, it continues in 14, that says, all those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. And so the Spirit is understood as what constitutes or what creates or what makes us the people of God. We're spirit people. You know, we're, we, we really, we're spirit people. We're people that believe that the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection is culminated. Its goal is to bring now into, into living reality the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of this today, but I just want to place that in your mind that if you, were under, if you study rabbinical theology, their understanding is that Pentecost, giving them the law, is what made them the people of God. Do we carry that same idea? That what makes us the people of God is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our corporate life, in our individual life, is what constitutes or what causes us to know we're the people of God. Does that make sense? That's a, that, I, don't, I don't hear that a lot. I don't hear people talk about that a lot. But I would suggest John 3, Romans 8, and other passages indicate that it's the presence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that constitutes or gives us evidence to or awareness of we're the people of God. I remember uh, one time we were in the elder meeting and uh, we were discussing some matters about ministry and about uh, women in ministry and women in leadership. And we're talking about it and you're having a good discussion. And I, and I made the comment, I said, well, you know why that is? They said, why is that? I said, because we're charismatic. All those Presbyterians on that uh, elder board just about passed out. And I just let it sit there for a second. Because, you know, I mean, we, we have had some idea what we think charismatic means. I mean, there are all kinds of images in our mind. And I said charismatic means that we're people of the Spirit. That's all it means. We're just people of the Spirit. That we depend on the Spirit for ministry. It's, it's God's grace, not gender, that determines that. Right? Right? It's not, 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 it's not gender that determines ministry. It's grace, the Spirit. It's, it's not that we all share the same ethnic background or the all so, same socioeconomic background. It's the Spirit 
that constitutes us of being a people. And I think that needs to be a little more in our mind, that that's what brings us together as the people of God. And so this day commemorates both the ingathering of the harvest, now the ingathering of the nations. It also commemorates the giving of the law, which constituted Israel in their own understanding. We're, we're the people of God because we have the law. And because of that, the church understands it's the giving of the Spirit. Now, let's go on. Here's the second. It's a promise kept. Go to your table of contents there in your Bible and uh, find the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at several passages in my Bible. It's 1035. 1035. Acts chapter 1. Pretty, pretty common, but I just want you to, again, take a, take a note here as we kind of think about this day. Acts chapter 1. And uh, this, uh, this seems, I would suggest to you, is a really important feature here when it says this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus... I don't know how your translation translates this. New American Standard, I think ESV does. About all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you have the word began? Yes. Is, that, is that what you have? Mm-hmm. There is some evidence here that you might, well, don't have time to completely figure it out. But there's some evidence here that would suggest that this is what Luke is trying to assert that Jesus only began. And the book of Acts and the Christian life is the continuation. That's different than other religions, isn't it? Other religions, their leaders die and whatever happens. But this leader is the one who began to do this. And the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and the rest of history is the work that Jesus began continuing. That's just something I'll think about. The work of Jesus continuing in the lives of those who have the Spirit. I remember one day I was at a gas station in Lexington, Kentucky. I was in seminary and uh, saw a friend of mine who was in seminary and he was filling his car and said, hey, Jim, what are you doing? And I'll never forget this. I mean, this was 38 years ago. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just about my father's business. Hmm. Just about my father's business. I thought that's pretty religious sounding, isn't it? <laughs> I thought he's been a smart aleck, actually. But it is, but all, all he, just think about this now, all that he began to do. Are we, are we part of that? Are we through people of the Spirit now part of that ministry? So just think, until the day he was taken up into heaven and he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive in his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them, over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom or the rule or the reign of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the the Father promised, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days from now. And so this matter here that Jesus is referring to is this matter of a promise kept. So where is that promise? What, what, what is, the, is, there, is there evidence for that? For that uh, a matter that this matter of the Holy Spirit is basically a promise that's being kept. And so let's look here. I'm, we're going to hurry. I know, but I want to give you these. Uh, in Ezekiel 
36. I'm going to just jump over there. If you want to, you can, but I'm, I'm just going to jump over there. Ezekiel 36. I'll give you several passages here. If you want to look at them, you can take a look at them there. Um, and we'll start at verse 26. Moreover, uh, God writing here through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. The promise here is a new heart and a new spirit. Now, whose spirit is he? Notice he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm, I'm going to give you a new spirit. That, that'd be good enough, wouldn't it, to, to say, well, I'm going to get a new one. But he identifies it in 37 when he says, I'm going to put my spirit, my spirit within you, and I'm going to cause you then to walk in my statutes. Now, <clears throat> several have suggested this on different times, but this notion of the promise of not just some new uh, matter of, of work or something. Uh, Pam Barton said it this way one time I thought was, was pretty helpful. This is an inside job. I'm going to give you a new heart. I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a new spirit. She said, in the Old Testament, God gave you instructions. In the New Testament, God gives you an instructor. Somebody inside. Somebody inside to guide us and to help us. And so this promise is, I'm going to give you a new spirit. And I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to give you of my spirit. That's the promise, folks, isn't it? It's also found in Jeremiah 34. Then over here, go to your right here, go to Joel. This is where I need usually to go to the table of contents. Yeah, I told you before, I, I was going to uh, Jerem, uh, uh, a book one time and a lady was preaching to our church in Houston and I couldn't find it. And uh, I sat there and flipped about five times and the Lord said to me, you got about one more flip and people are going to know you don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I sat there and finally landed in Isaiah and read like I was following right along. <laughs> I'm confessing it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you might want to find Joel. It's not, you know, some of those little books. Joel 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 28. It will come about after this. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, if you read the book of Acts in chapter 2, you'll realize that Peter references this to say when they see this uh, phenomenon of the Holy Spirit uh, being poured out on them, uh, that, that, uh, th that they're wondering, uh, what is this? And, and, and Peter says, this is the promise from Joel, that this is what God would do. Now, think about it. Again, they've seen Jesus live and die and resurrect, and now this occurring. Then, if you will again, in Mark Go over to the New Testament, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Uh, the story here of John the baptizer, he wasn't Baptist, he was a baptizer. <laughs> That's what it was. It's a verb, not a noun. Uh, John was preaching in chapter 1 of Mark, and it says this, uh, 1, uh, 7. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, 
I'm not even fit to stoop down and tie the thong of his sandals. I'm going to baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's, that's a fascinating statement here that John says, look, I'm going to baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does baptize mean? Uh, you know, the Greek word baptize or baptizo is used to sink a ship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it means to sink a ship. And, and most would suggest that what baptize means is to come under the influence of. When, when a ship is sinking, it's coming under the influence of what? The water, right? It's coming under the influence. That, that being baptized is to be entered into and under the influence, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. So John says, this is, this is what's going to happen. Now, it's interesting. I don't have this in my notes, but it's in my head. And I'm not teaching now, so I'm on the summer break. <laughs> Go back and read John 1 sometime. And, and again, this is one of the features that I think we have to remember on Pentecost Sunday and throughout the week or throughout the, the, the year. We're real clear when John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We're clear on that. And we're glad about that, right? <clears throat> Behold the Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. But John later says, this is he of whom I said that he's mightier than I. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That was John's message. That was John's message that, that this Jesus will not only come to, if you will, release us from sin and its debt, but empower us and strengthen us and fill us under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Those are the same things that John is saying there in John chapter 1. So, do we live in this promise? Do, do, do we live? Do I live? Do you live? I, you know, all week I'm working on this. And uh, I was actually working on it the week before until the flood came. And, uh, but I, I keep asking myself, do I live with any <clears throat> awareness of this promise? Do I, <clears throat> do I live with a conscious awareness of it? So I'm going to ask you to think about doing it at least at this point is would you perhaps take one of those verses, Ezekiel 36, 26, Joel chapter 2, Mark chapter 1, John chapter 1, and say, you know what, I'm going to bring that into my conscious thinking every day this week. Write it on a card, put it somewhere on a sticky note for you to say, the promise here from God is the Spirit. This is his promise. This is what everything is working toward in all of the work of God in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New. I just would ask us to consider that. Now, okay, that, that's kind of laying the groundwork. Yes? Do you think they had any idea of what that he meant by bringing the Spirit, giving them the Spirit? Yes, sir. for the recording, uh, did, did the disciples have any idea? Um, I think... Generally, in this respect, in Jewish teaching, the, the understanding was that when the Messiah came, that it would be the age of the Spirit. See, they know Ezekiel 36. They know Joel chapter 2. The, the Jews do not deny that there will be the Spirit coming. But they deny who it's in that Jesus has anything to do. So I think they have some general understanding that if the Messiah really is here, when he comes, it will be called the age of the Spirit. Jewish teaching still believes that. That when the Messiah comes, it will be the age of the Spirit. So I think they have that general understanding of the Spirit. But whether or not, you know, they, they had connected all that with Jesus completely. I don't know. Yeah. 
So in terms of, of this presence, or in terms of this, so I want to discuss the gift of the Holy Spirit is experienced in. Now there's a, there's a uh, uh, picture there. Uh, if you've ever been to the Garden of the Gods, like that's where I like to go live. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I can teach my classes online from there. <clears throat> this is a thing called Balance Rock. And you drive through there quickly. <laughs> I don't trust it still. <clears throat> It says it's balanced, but I don't know. I, when I'm thinking about this, I, I want to I suggest a couple of things. My opinion, and again, thoughts and opinions of teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, elders, leadership, or even Eric. No. <laughs> uh, that, that one of the things I think why we sometimes don't discuss the spirit is we're afraid of extremes, and we just sort of back away. Jesus is real easy to understand. The Father is sort of understand, but the Spirit, okay, let's be careful here. And, and, uh, and I'm, I want to try to work at what I'm going to call balance rock. I want to say we want to be balanced in this. And, and, and I, I, I think all of us, you know, probably have uh, uh, different problems in balance. Here, give you an example. Um, I grew up in a church that thought that the Holy Spirit basically, we're going to come back and pick these up. That, that really, the only, the only thing about the Holy Spirit was that we should live holy, pure lives. Anybody go to that church? Yeah. But we didn't care if everybody else went to hell, so we never witnessed. <laughs> right? We were too busy being clean. <laughs> we were way too busy trying to keep our, our act together. You know, I, I mean, I, I was a full-time job. I didn't have time to witness anybody. You know, my, I'm a full-time job. I'm, I'm, oh, am I, did I say a wrong word? Did I say, oh, 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 you know, paralyzed. Okay, so we build an entire church around that. Right? Other, other people say, whoa, hold, hold on, man. The, the Holy Spirit is for power, for ministry. And so, typically, not, I'm just saying, in general, charismatic churches are kind of built around manifestations of power. Ministry, tongues, prophet, you know, all those kind of things. So they built an entire church around that, right? Now, I'm, I'm being very judgmental. These are very wide-ranging, but there might not have been as much concern about holy living or witnessing, right? And then, and then, and then the Baptists come along, like they always do. And it, <laughs> I, I had a friend who's a Baptist. He said, he said, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We just don't think he does anything. <laughs> I went, man, that's harsh. He said, yeah, they're never going to pray for your healing in my church. <laughs> he, but, but they said, look, wait a minute. Jesus said, if we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to witness. And man, do they ever, <laughs> Right? They got training union. They got, it, it, our problem is, and then the third, the fourth, and we're, and we're talking about these, all these. There's another group that, you know, the Holy Spirit is this wonderful presence in our life and, and, and wonderful comforter. And, and it's kind of this mysticism that, you know, I just feel the spirit and, you know, I feel it, and we build an entire church around that into mysticism. Our problem is we can't balance this. And that's part of our, whatever you want to call it, sinful nature. I don't know. But what I'm suggesting and trying to say, and I'm not saying i got to figure it out. I'm saying, I know, though, I need all of these in my life. And you do, too. But, but we have trouble balancing. So we build entire denominations around these things. And then every church is, like I remember in my church uh, as a kid, man, all, we were just worried to death we weren't holy enough. And I don't remember anybody ever getting saved. 
And if they did and came and became a part of us, they didn't want to be part of us. No. Because it was like spiritual hypochondria. You know, oh, wait a minute. Had a bad thought. Am I saved or not? You know, we used to kid uh, in, in Reformed theology of the tulip, you know. Maybe you don't care. Uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. That's, that's, that's Reformed. So, so in Calvinism or Reform, you got the tulip. In, in, in some circles that I grew up in, you had the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Man, I wanted a tulip. <laughs> right? Anybody? I, yeah. All of us Nazarenes and all of, yeah. You know, saved, not saved, saved, not saved, 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 not saved. Oh, my goodness. But it's our inability... It's our inability, in my, in my opinion, to find the balance that God wants all of these things in our life. So I want, I, here's how we're going to go. So first of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit is experienced in presence. In presence. You know, Marty made mention this the other day. In John 14, Jesus is talking to these guys about what's about to happen. And, and, and just look at over here, John John 14. I think it's John 14. I didn't write it down. Well, it is, yeah, it is 14, but, but notice this. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I told you. I go to prepare a place for your dwelling. Okay? That's heaven, I guess. You know where that's what we typically associate with that. But look down at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode. That's the same word in 14.2. Same word. The mansion. The abode. That, that, that Jesus is saying here, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. An abode, a mansion. Meneon is the Greek, the, the Greek word right here. I'm going, it's a future, you know, building it. But I'm telling you right now, there's a presence of my, me, and you. So if you love me and you keep my commandments, the Father will love you. We'll come and make our house or a boat. It's the exact same word. So one of the features or one of the ways to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, or the gift of the Holy Spirit, is this presence. That he has come to live within us. John Wesley said it like this, if you try to understand this from a kind of a Trinitarian model. The Father is for us. Jesus is with us. And the Spirit is in us. For, with, in. You know, this idea here. There's going to be someone who's going to be in us. And I was going to say, Marty commented the, the other day, maybe it was last week or a week before last, I can't remember, when he said, when, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, now look, it's to your advantage I go away. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been right there with him. I said, no, 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 no. That's, whoa, you're talking crazy here. Okay. He said, because if I don't go away, I'll not be able to send the advocate, the comforter, the paraclete. It's to your advantage that I go away. Why? 
because he'll come and dwell in you. I, I don't, I, I'm just going to say to you guys, you know, maybe you need another teacher here. I just still wonder about that. I keep thinking, Cliff, are you living in this promise of the Spirit's presence to where you could genuinely say that? It is better that you're gone, Jesus. It is better. I don't know about you, but when I, when I, when I kind of dig around in that, I, I got some work to do to, to say, is it really better for you, Cliff, that Jesus left and sent the Holy Spirit? Are, are you living in that reality? I'm not saying it isn't true. I'm saying, am I living in that reality? And so the Holy Spirit as presence in our life. It's an abode. It's coming. So look back still again in John 14. Um, in John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it doesn't know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Now, that's interesting language there. He, will, he is with you. It must be the, the notion that the Spirit is, is dispatched into the world. He's with you right now. But one day, He'll be in you. Taking up the abode. That, that, that relates. You can write this down for later. Revelation 21.3. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So, so let, me, let me just go quickly. You know what I mean when I say that, right? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> let me suggest uh, uh, some features of this presence. Boy, boy, this is important to me. I'll tell you, I, it's in living. Number one, it comes back to that John 14, 16. The presence of the Holy Spirit is as... Helper. The presence of the Holy Spirit as helper. Now, it says right there, if, if you, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper. That, that Greek word, many of you probably already know this. It's translated comforter, advocate, helper. Here's what it means literally. It's a, it's a Greek word that is a compound. It's para. Uh, paralegal is a person, not a lawyer, but they work alongside a lawyer, right? Parachurch organizations or organizations that aren't in the church, but it's like, uh, uh, you know, the Navigators or, uh, uh, you know, Beth, Beth Moore and Herman. It, it kind of comes alongside to kind of support and strengthen. That's what the first part of that term is, para. And the second part of the word is kletos, which means called to. What, what it means is it is somebody who is called to be along your side. Some. Maybe the best, best way is somebody to walk with you. So, somebody, somebody to walk alongside with you. And, and, and Jesus is saying here, I, I'm going to leave, but there's going to be a helper who's coming. This is the one. Now, the, the question is this. Who called him to your side? Did you? Did you call this helper to your side? No. The father did. The father called him to be by your side. It wasn't because you were yelling and screaming. The Father says, I'm calling the Spirit to be by your side. Right here. 
to be along. I, it's another important word. Notice here, an, verse 16, another. I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper. And again, it's translated advocate, uh, a comforter, uh, different translations. But it's somebody that's called to be by your side. Some tra- defense attorney. Somebody, somebody to be along your side to defend you. But the word there, another, in Greek, um, there are two words for another. That's why it's so painful to take that language. <laughs> There's a word, heteros, that we get heretical. Heteros, heretical. It means another of a different kind. See, if you get into a heretical teaching about Jesus, you got a Jesus, but he's of another kind. <laughs> right? And the other word in Greek is alas, which means another of the same kind. That's this word. Jesus is saying, you're going to get a helper, another of the same kind like me. This helper is going to be like me. That's why sometimes the Holy Spirit is understood, the Spirit of Christ. This helper is not another of a different kind. He's another of the same exact kind. You ought to think about that and reflect on how is Jesus was he a helper? So, so he comes as a comforter, his presence. You've known that, haven't you? We, we've gone through some things recently in our family, some of the things like that, and there have been times when uh, the anxiety and other things like that was just about to wear me out. Just wear me out. And then there would just be this sense. Generally, I, this is how it works for me. I don't know if it works for you. I'm not a real feely, emotional person. I don't cry a lot. I make people cry. No. <laughs> and then say, come on, get with it. I'm not real emotional. I mean, I'm just, um, you know, people talk about feeling the Lord's presence. I don't always feel that. But what I tell you, the comfort that comes to me when I read his word, it's like the spirit takes, remember Jesus said, he's going to remind you of what I said. Go back and read that in 16. The Spirit, when He comes, He's going to remind you what I said. And I'm going along in life and I'm struggling. I'm having a worry or anxiety or something like that. And man, the Spirit will bring a passage to me and just calm me down. And I'll just say, that's the truth. I'm going to live in that. That, 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 that presence that He got. What's His work? He's going to remind you of what Jesus said. He, he, it's not going to be that you're getting just some chills and bumps up and down your back. It's that, it's that he's going to remind you. He's going to bring to your remembrance the things that Jesus said. This comforter, this one who defends us. By the way, it's interesting here too because the Greek word for devil, diabolos, if you tear that word apart, diabolos is the word of against, dia, against, and bolos is the against counselor. He's like the, he's like the prosecuting attorney. These are, these are interesting terms how they're used. That the parakletos is the defender, the one called to your side. The devil is the one who's defeating you, the one who's accusing you, the one who's coming at you with all kinds of accusations. That's why we need the Spirit to defend us. Okay, uh, another matter of presence. Wow, it's nearly time. <laughs> I was going to do this whole thing today. Stop it. <laughs> See, if I've had feelings, I'd be hurt. See, if I had feelings, I'd be hurt. I'm safe here. See? Please, come on. 
Yeah, you care. We're in John. Stay there. Go go back to chapter 7. This this internal presence. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit is experienced in being of presence. You're not by yourself. We're not alone. Write this down, you know, for for later. Isaiah 26.3. Some of us struggle with this because... Uh, some of us are too aware of our feelings and, and we're too aware of what's going on. And suddenly our vision turns inside to us. And, and just, just consider this. Just consider this. Uh, the, 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 Isaiah 26.3 that says, Be still and know that I'm God. You can't manufacture this. You can't work it up. You can't gin it up. But, but be still and know that I'm God. And then I'm going to give you this other one because I, I struggled with this most all my life. I, in, in Psalms chapter 34, your feelings are the most unreliable part of you, okay? Your feelings, my, they're the most unreliable part of you. Uh, I want you to look here just for a second. In Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm 31. David is... Uh, so, so again, I don't want to make this presence thing like, oh, I just feel God close all the time. I don't. So in Psalm 31, David is struggling. <clears throat> this is one of my life verses. He says in verse 22, as for me, I said in my alarm. What does that mean? He shook up. As for me, I said in my alarm. What? I'm cut off before the Lord's eyes. That's what I feel. That must be the truth. Look at that. Nevertheless, what? You heard the voice of my supplication when I cried to you. I said in my alarm, my feelings, I'm cut off. Man, this is over. I'm done. My feelings are telling me this is over. I'm done. No good. God's out there. And he said, wait a minute, hold it. Your feelings don't change what God does. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication. Hang on to that. Back in John 7, That's why I can't finish today. <laughs> John chapter 7. <clears throat> this presence. On verse 37. This is the last day of the feast. <clears throat> this great feast where they poured this huge container of water out as a, in the temple and declared God would bring living water. Jesus says this. Now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, Listen. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What's the qualification? Thirsty. That's it. Not good enough. Not worked hard enough. Not tried enough. Not failed. Been been successful. He said, look, here's the qualification. If you're thirsty, what? Come to me. Come to me. Don't try to figure this out. Don't try to answer it. Don't think if you're good enough or bad enough. Just say, if you're thirsty, come. Then what he says is this. But he, sp- and he said, for out, and he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is previous to the book of Acts. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, 
you come to me. That's all the qualification there is. One, <clears throat> I'm reading a couple of old Puritans now uh, in my readings, and, and, and one of them said that, said that the senseless sinner cannot come to Jesus. I thought, what are you talking about? The senseless sinner. Why? Because he has no sense of his need. All that you have to have to come to Jesus is need. All you have to know is I need him. That's it. When people are senseless, they don't come to Jesus. So here is this, in turn, he's a comforter. He's the source of internal living water. And last of all, I'm going to give you this sort of, real quick, sort of, this internal presence of guide. Now, go, go to the book of Romans, real quick, to the right, or in John. Go to the book of Romans. Ooh, I like this. <clears throat> if this internal presence, and you know, people like Marty said the other day, how do I know God's speaking to me or how do I know I'm being led? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a marker right here. Okay. I, we could fill this room up uh, talking about how do I know and how do I not know? And you know, it's a challenge, but I'll, I'll tell you, I know one thing here about this internal presence as a guide. Look at chapter 8, verse 14 of Romans. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Okay? Verse 15, in the American Standard, I think in the ESV, has one word stand in the first position. Do, do, do you see that? What, what is the... Is the word for? Yeah. It is the Greek word gar. It's not... Pirate talk. It's just gar. <clears throat> just, you'll never forget that word. You'll never forget the word for in Greek now. The word for there suggests now something has been stated and it's about to get supported or defended. The word for operates like that grammatically. Here's a statement. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. For. Here, here's the evidence. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. So where will you not be led? Right there. To fear again. To fear what again? If you're being led by the Spirit, you're not being led to fear again. Your status with God, your standing with Him, your value, you're creating the image of God, you're loved by God, you put your faith, you don't have to be fearful about my status, my standing, who I am, am I you're not, the Spirit is not going to lead you. You can lead yourself there. Your church tradition can lead you there. Your conscience can lead you there. It generally does. For you've not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear. Look at the, look at the correlation there. See, in verse 14 it said, being led. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Verse 15, you've not received the spirit of fear leading, there it is again, to fear again. But you've received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. I, I, I don't, I, I, listen, I don't know sometimes, be honest with you, to struggle with, I don't know if I'm being led by God or it's my thoughts or my ideas or a good idea. I, it's a struggle. What I do know is when I'm not being led. I know that right here. When fear becomes a matter, when anxiety is all that, when I don't feel like, when, when I have this sense that I don't belong, that I'm the slave instead of the son, not the spirit. You with me? So I may not know all the time how to be led, but I know where I'm not going to be led. 
and that's good for me. That's good for me. Let me tell you real quick, I've said this before, but look here, it says, to lead you to the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of slavery. Let me tell you how you know which spirit you have. If you have the spirit of slavery, when you do, you know, the best you can. When I've done something or been in ministry or worked or tried to help somebody or something, you know, just live in life. Maybe try to do something for Becky at the house. I did that once. (laughs) Several years ago. But I read a lot. (laughs) Uh, If I do something and, you know, I'm doing the best I can and it doesn't work out. I feel far from God. That's because you have the spirit of the slave. You got to earn your keep. You got to earn your place. You got to deserve where you are. You're not a son or a daughter. Listen, the slave in Paul's day, the only reason that slave had any value is what they could produce, what they could provide. And what they could do. And many of us are wrapped up in that spirit that whenever we do what we can and we, you know, do our best or, or just do what we think ought to be done and it doesn't work out, it wrecks us spiritually. All of a sudden, God's saying, anybody with me there? Yeah, well, that's the spirit of the slave. You've got to face it. You've got to call it out. You've got to confront it. You know, I've been reading something like that, and I, I can't tell you over the years, and it, it, it's a recurring kind of thing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a, I'm a recurring uh, church of God, <laughs> or, or I'm working at it, recovering. There have been so many times when in the past, and it, it can creep right back in to where, where I'm teaching or leading, and if I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job, It'll wreck me. And that's when I got to go back to the Lord and say, okay, we got some work still to do here. We, we still got some work here to do. Instead of that I'm a son. I'm a son of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're created in the image of God. You can't change that. Listen, if you go live in a bridge in a van down by the river, <laughs> you can't change that. Or if you're a brain surgeon, It doesn't change anything. You're creating the image of God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a son and a daughter. God's not going to lead you into fear or anxiety. He wants to lead you into righteousness and hope and goodness. So I know where I'm not. So let let me try to hit the balance here. I think I got it here. I think I got it. One other thing, one other thing I've got to say, Galatians 5 and 6, is I'll be led to walk in the Spirit where the fruit of the Spirit is developing. I know know, where I'll not be led by this presence, not into fear, but I know I will be. So I'm I'm, I'm saying I, I will be led into the fruit of the Spirit. I will be led into love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and goodness. I just have to show you this. I know it's Father's Day. we got to get out of here. But I just want to see the correlation between Galatians 5, 
where Paul says, if we're being led by the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness will be developed. There's one other thing I think when we're led by this. If you look at that, that list of those beautiful things that the Spirit wants to create in our life, it says this in verse six, chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who is spiritual, run him out of the church. <laughs> Amen. Right? What, what does he say those who are led by the Spirit, who are the, the fruit of the Spirit is growing? He says, you that are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not going to be led to fear, but you will be led to produce through the Spirit in your life love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And one of the things that will happen is that when people fall or stumble or have trouble, you'll restore them gently. Only the spiritual can do that. So here's the balance I want us to be careful with, okay? Here it is. This is on your outline. Boy, you thought I was going to get a lot further than that, didn't you? When we overemphasize this matter of presence, I think we can run into mysticism. Mysticism means I'm going to evaluate everything by the way I feel. I'm going to, I'm going to evaluate by all these internal things going on with me. So if, if we're not, if we, this balance rock, remember what I'm talking about? This balance rock. We want to balance it, that, that we want to have and understand that the Holy Spirit is this matter of presence. But overdoing it, it's going to be mysticism. And people talk about their feel. Oh, don't you just feel close, Lord? I said, I don't know. I was telling somebody, I, I used to not like that song, It Is Well With My Soul. I didn't like it. It is well, it is, you know, right? Anybody? I, I didn't like it because I didn't think it was. <laughs> I know me. And I was sitting there one day and I had this sense. I think the Holy Spirit reminded me that I just had this sense. He said, Cliff, it's well with your soul. And I said, why? He said, because you're not looking anywhere else for salvation but me. So quit worrying about your feelings and quit evaluating them. You're locked down on that you believe I'm it. It's well with your soul. Okay? But that mysticism get a hold of us. The other problem, if we underemphasize this matter of presence, I think we just get into rationalism. It's just a bunch of ideas. Just a bunch of concepts. I learned this. It's four doctrinal statements here. Rationalism. We don't want that either. We don't want just to all be neck up. So this, this experiencing of the Holy Spirit. So, so here's what I ask you to do. We're, we're done. Take a moment. I want you to just be honest with yourself. I'm trying to be honest with myself. Where do you land on this? Where do you land on this? Are you, are you into the presence idea so much that you're evaluating everything by your feelings, how you feel, what you're able to assess? Would you, would you be willing to look at those passages again that I gave you that it says, your feelings have to be subject to what the Scripture says. In Romans 8, Psalm 31. Or are you like me sometimes? I, I tend to make too much of this of rationalism. Like I've got all the right thoughts, all the right ideas. And I need to open my life to the Spirit of God. Now here's how I'd ask you to consider doing this if you're like me. Isaiah 26, 3, just take some time this week, summer, just five or 10 minutes. Don't try to do this for an hour. You can't do it. <clears throat> you know, I'm sitting there praying and thinking, and Lord, I, the God of the, is that a bug? 
Okay, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Did you leave the back door open? It's scary up here. But Isaiah 26, 3 did just say, I'm going to be still and know that you're God. I'm, I'm just going to be still. Five minutes maybe is all I can do. Set your timer on your, your, your phone so you don't have to keep looking at the clock and just sit there and say, God, could, could we begin this process of me realizing that it's not just all up here in my head? But if I can be still and know that you're God. I think you're going to find there's a lot of voices, a lot of clamoring, a lot of self-denigration, a lot of accusation going on in your head about yourself. You just have to ask God, God, I want to be quiet. I want to hear the voice of my Father. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you told us this would be better for us. We want that. We want that more than we want air at times. If it's better, would you bring it? Would you help us to live in the assurance, the awareness, the understanding that Pentecost made all the difference? And that you're ready, willing, and able to help us. Would you help us with our own thoughts, our conscience, and everything that is clamoring for our attention to let you have reign in our minds and hearts? We're going to stumble and fall. We're just human. So help us in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.